Good morning, church. Uh, my name is uh, Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. I'm so excited uh, to have the opportunity to, to meet with you and to gather with you around the Word, God's Holy Word offered to us. And uh, today we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 4. As you, as you get your Bibles prepared and uh, get everything uh, oriented towards, uh, towards our time of, of worship and study, I want uh, to take a moment uh, to, uh, to, to, to share an announcement with you. And uh, we've been alluding to it over the last couple of weeks uh, as I send out some communication to the, uh, to the, to the church and uh, have been following up with that with little snippets. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that uh, Covenant is committed to continuing our live stream worship ministry out into the future. Now, we believe that this is a gift of this season, that God is is redeeming this season for a purpose. And one of those purposes is that Covenant will have a live stream uh, ministry for worship forever. That this is something that, that is not just for today. So, so whenever we do uh, return to worship physically in this place, if you're not yet comfortable, uh, or if you, uh, if, if you are a part of a, a higher risk population, and we want you to know that this outlet and avenue for connection and authentic worship is still available for you. I also want you to know that the plan that we have been building in our building uh, for our return uh, to worship is built around safety. We want you to know that your safety is, uh, is, is our priority in this return. And there are uh, things that we're really focused on in that effort uh, when we're talking about safe return. The first is capacity. And so uh, the capacity of our room and the way in which we utilize that capacity, the limits of that capacity, will be uh, a priority for our focus the second thing is uh, that, that we're going to prioritize uh, a no-contact worship environment, that the way in which we worship will be different because uh, it's not yet safe for us to uh, contact one another or to contact uh, doorknobs or handles or any of those other things. So I wanted you to know that those two uh, principles are guiding our way as we can uh, continue to look at what a safe return looks like for us. Also wanted you to know that next Sunday we will be releasing uh, the document that will guide us, our phase one of our return document that will outline what worship will look like in person uh, for the foreseeable future uh, as we're building a phased return in reflection of what uh, all of society building out for phase returns, I want you to know that a phase one document will be available next week for you to review, to, uh, to learn the precautions we're taking, and to decide what level of comfort you have in returning to in-person worship. The last thing I want to share with you in, in that vein is that we have scheduled a projected return date. I say projected because this is a fluid season, and so we are working to be as adaptable as possible as new information comes. This could change, but today we are projecting a return to in-person worship date of May 24th. That is uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, there are two more Sundays uh, that we are projecting. We will be exclusively on uh, live stream, but then on the 24th, we're projecting return to in-person worship in addition to our live stream. 
So next week, you'll see that whole uh, plan presented to you for your own review, and you'll begin to consider if, uh, if that May 24th date is the right date for you or if another date into the future is. And we want you to know we honor your discernment in that process. And uh, we've been working to discern what is right for covenant, and uh, we trust that you will be doing that same for, uh, for your family each of us individually. So uh, with that news now uh, presented, I do want us to turn to the scripture today. Uh, John chapter 4, we're going to be reading in verse 7 and following as uh, we hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's turn there now. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So he told her, Go husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I could see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Before we bow for a word of prayer, we're going to have a microphone switch to see if we could get a better signal coming through. I tell you what, we, uh, we've been praying against Satan in the technical, uh, and uh, today we have a little bit of an attack, so, uh, but, but God is good anyhow, 
and God is able. And so uh, we go to God in prayer to, to hear from his word together this day. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do come in this space and this time, and we ask that you would make yourself known to us. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us through the reading of this word. Now we ask, oh God, that you would make yourself known to us through the working of the Holy Spirit as we gather together to hear and learn from you. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then we ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, we... uh, uh, we have had this kind of odd season, and I want you to know today has brought great joy to, to my heart because we have not had uh, any children in this space of worship since March the 15th when uh, the reeds were here for baptism. Today we do have a baptism as well, and it will be after the sermon. I hope that you plan to stay with us for that, but we have the wraps with us, and to have kids in this room of worship is, is a great uh, joy uh, for me, and I'm so thankful for the projected date of our return uh, on, March, uh, on May the 24th. You know, whenever uh, we find ourselves in, in this season, uh, the topic we're digging into today is quite critical for us because it's about uh, what it means to be honest with God and, and how that is a part of our freedom and how it leads us into freedom. And so uh, I, I remember a, a time whenever I learned a lesson of honesty. I was in junior high, uh, I think I was in sixth grade, uh, and uh, I, I wrapped up my day at the junior high school in Wharton, and my buddy Matt and I decided we weren't going to ride the bus home. That was back in the day when the kids could just choose how they were going to get home, like the teachers didn't usher them where they were supposed to go, you just kind of chose, and Matt and I decided we were going to walk home rather than ride the bus home, so we began the trek home, and and we're kind of skipping along, and we're grabbing some stuff out of the grass and, you know, throwing some rocks. And, and we're kind of just dilly-dallying on our way home. And we uh, are, are probably about a half a mile from our homes. We're next-door neighbors. And I remember that there were some mushrooms on the side of the road. And so I was picking them up and throwing them. And as you throw them, kind of they would, they would splatter, splash. And I was like, that's kind of cool. So I picked one up. And while I picked one up, a car drove by. And I flung it and smashed it into the side of the car. That, that drove by. Now, I imagine if I was in that car, I would have thought like a rock hit me or maybe I had uh, like a blowout of some sort because, because it, it made a loud sound against the door. And so Matt and I, immediately we ducked. Uh, there was a field off to the right. I threw the mushroom against the car, heard the loud sound, boom, down into the field. And, and uh, there was a place that we used to play that had like this, uh, this, uh, this, this uh, water tunnel throughout the community for... Uh, for the community, and so we just ducked in there and we hid, knowing that I had done something wrong. And uh, after a few minutes of hanging out there, we emerged from the tunnel. Uh, we then popped our heads out, walked back through the field, head to the house. And uh, you know, to my surprise, I was a latchkey kid. To my surprise, when I arrived home, my dad was there. My dad was never home. My dad was working all the time. He was never home. And and whenever my dad uh, heard the door open, he said, Jason. And I knew the tone of his voice, and I knew what that meant. So I I, I walked in, and I saw him. He was sitting down. He didn't get up to greet me whenever uh, whenever I walked in. He said, sit down. And so I sat down, and I 
sat in fear and trembling. And, and my dad was skilled at this. I have three sisters, he, and so with four kids, I think he, he, he kind of grew accustomed to what this is to look like. And so in that space, he just sat in silence. And it just weighed on me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what has happened? What have I done? And I'm assessing all the things that I had done, not just today, but over the course of, of the, the, the many days previous. And I was, I was wondering, what has he found out about me? And he said, Jason, so uh, did you ride the bus? Well, I knew that wasn't that big of a deal because uh, we were oftentimes just walking home uh, whenever we wanted. We'd ride the bus, walk, whatever. And so I said, no, uh, Matt and I walked home, and uh, we, just, uh, we just walked through the field and, and uh, came home. And he said, and? And at that point, like, my lip began to quiver. You know, that moment whenever you know that, 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 that you're caught, that you've been found out. And so then I confessed. I said, I said Dad, we're walking down the hill, I saw some mushrooms, I picked one up, I threw it on the ground and made this cool splat. And so then I picked another one up, a car drove by, and I threw it against the car. And he sat in silence, and he said, I already know. At which point, I was freaked out. Like, how did he already know? This is before cell phones, right? This isn't like, 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 like someone just like saw it sitting on their front porch and, and pulled out their cell phone and called him and he drove home in order to be there. Like, he never told me how he found out. He never revealed that to me. I'm sure some, some uh, Martha sitting on her front porch or Margie sitting on her front porch saw it and like pulled out the long cord uh, from, her, from her, you know, home phone and called him. But somehow he found out and he sat there in that moment and said, I know. And to be quite honest, I don't remember what my punishment was. I could have got whooped. I could have been grounded. Uh, I could have had to ride the bus home for the next month. I don't remember what my punishment was, but I do remember the effect of that conversation, the effect of the knowledge that my dad already knew. Number one, it made me motivated to do good. I, 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 was, I was like mindful that if he knows, and he does, and if he is, is always uh, ahead of me, then uh, then I need to be mindful of doing good. The second thing that that made me was it made me more honest. I, I led with honesty with my dad in most things after that conversation because I knew that, that if he already knows, there's nothing really to hide because if, if, if hiding is futile, then honesty is better. And so I, I just adopted a mantra that I don't lie that Burnham's don't lie, that lying is, uh, is unacceptable and unhelpful, and it starts with knowing that our Father already knows. And I think that that's at the core of this text today, honesty, uh, truthfulness, 
Because we find ourselves uh, in, in this story of the Samaritan woman at the well in living water, and we hear all of these themes that we've previously uh, heard proclaimed about it, or maybe when we've read this text, we've been drawn to. We've been drawn to the fact that Jesus interacts with the woman, uh, just the two of them at a well, and that circumstance is worthy of us considering uh, what is it about social norms, the relationship between men and women, that Jesus is able to transcend and enter into a better world way. Or we've heard uh, it talked about, about Jesus and a Samaritan and him interacting with the Samaritan, him going through Samaria when he didn't have to. He would have, as most Jews, been able to go around, but instead he went right through as though he was intending to have this lesson about the, 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 the gospel message relating beyond Judaism and into the Samaritan re- uh, region and beyond. Is that something for us or we've heard it talked about as, as this is a space where we're to learn more about living water, about eternal life, about sustenance that goes beyond this earth. And there are more important things like the sustenance we give, uh, are given by Jesus that, that, that keeps us in all things. But I think all of, those, uh, all of those are lessons we can take from this text, but there's a central lesson around truth that we are to hear because it's woven all the way through to the conclusion even beyond what we read, and we'll get to that in a second. You see, at the core of this, there is a woman who is by herself with Jesus, and they begin this conversation. Jesus asks for a drink of water, and this woman says, how are you even talking to me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You're a man. You're not supposed to interact with me. Why would you even talk with me? Uh, you know, I'm just here trying to get my noonday water all by myself so that I'm not with all the other people. I'm isolated, and there's, there's so much about who she is, and she's pro- professing that and proclaiming that in this opening statement, and yet Jesus says, if you knew, if you knew who was asking you, you wouldn't be so gruff with me. You wouldn't be so obstinate. Instead, you would say, uh, give me not just water from this well, but give me living water. And the woman's like still kind of pushing him away and says, hey, y- you think that I should ask you for water? I have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get down to the bottom of this well and get water for me? Why would I ask you for water whenever I have a bucket and you don't? Crazy. And then Jesus flips it and turns it and says, look, I have this water, and it's not like the water that you draw from a bucket. I have this living water, and it gives you life. It It gives you life of purpose and of meaning today, and it gives you eternal life For tomorrow, it never runs dry. You never get thirsty. You don't have to come back because this is better. It's more. And so I want that for you. I I have this living water, and you could ask for it. And you know what she does? She does ask for it. She turns to Jesus, and she says to him, if you have this water, I want to know what that water is. In verse 15, she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming coming here to draw water. Sir, Kyrie, Lord, Master, sir, give me this water. I want that. 
So, so you would think that in that moment, Jesus would turn to her and say, I told you to ask for living water. You asked for living water. Now here's some living water. Right? That's what we would assume would be the, the order of action. Je- like, like put it in other circumstances. Jesus uh, meets someone who needs healing. They ask for healing. Uh, they say, you have the power to heal. Jesus heals, and then they're healed. Like that, that's, that's kind of how this works. That's not how this works in this scenario. He tells her about living water. She asks for living water, and then he turns the corner and says, go and get your husband. He gives an invitation for honesty. He he orients their interaction on truth. And so here in that space, uh, she then is compelled to to be honest. She, she, she leans in, not just desiring living water, but, but she leans in and, and is going to begin a season and a, a, a vulnerability. She's going to be honest, not just with him, but with, with, with a whole community, uh, with a people beyond herself that she has felt exile from. And now she's going to be honest and she says, I don't have a husband. And you could hear the mourning in her voice and the pain in her voice and, the, and, and the, the honesty that is a part of that whole situation. There's vulnerability there. Something that she's ashamed of, something that she carries shrouded that, that leads her to come to the well when no one else is there. And she comes and she says, I don't have a husband. And then he reveals to her, just as my father did to me, I already know. I already know. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And yet I'm here with you. You're honest with me. I'm honest with you. I already know. And I want you to rest in that. That, 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 that your father, your, your father already knows He's not surprised. He's not perplexed. You didn't, you didn't shock him. You didn't create the scenario that, that, that was outside of the bounds of his perception or wisdom. No, he already knows. And he looks, Jesus looks at her and says, I already know and more. I know that you don't have a husband. I also know you have had five husbands. I also know that there is a man that, that you call husband that isn't even really your husband. I know it all. You could give me a piece of honesty, a piece of truth, and I know that there's even more because I know the depth of your heart, the entirety of your life, and yet I'm sitting here talking with you and I'm offering you living water, and it's beginning with honest interaction. She's blown away. She's blown away, and she's, she says, Kyrie again, sir, Lord, master. And she says, uh, I, 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 I could see that you're a prophet, but, but I, I don't know how I can move forward. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, and the Jews claimed that the place is in Jerusalem. And so we have these two places, and I'm not of your place. So how, how, is, this, how is this relationship to go? We've had this moment of truth and honesty and vulnerability, and you've talked about living water, and I've asked for it. And, and now we find ourselves still yet divided, and Jesus breaks it down for her. He says that God is a God of spirit and truth. God is a God of spirit and truth. 
and the time will come. And in fact, he says, he, he flips it. He doesn't say the time will only will come. He says the time, in fact, has come. That Jesus has begun, in, initiated that time. Whenever spirit, God as spirit, no longer depends upon a certain location. So it's not about Jerusalem. And it's not about Samaria, the mountain in Samaria. And it's not about this church building or your homes or a particular place Anywhere, God is not restricted by place. God's spirit is at work and moving throughout the world. And that time has come with Jesus. And so we can feel comfort in that and we can feel affirmed in that as we gather today uh, to worship digitally. And so we are not just here in this place, but we're also gathered as the people of God around the community, around the world. God is not restricted by place. Jesus says that our God is a God of spirit and of truth. Our God is a God of spirit, transcends now any location. And then he says our God is a God of truth. And we know that, we know that to be a fact. We could see it over the course of all of Scripture. Uh, it's, re- it's repeated very specifically in three different uh, uh, clear statements, one in Numbers, uh, one in Titus. I'm going to read the one in Numbers, uh, Numbers 23, verse 19. As we hear this statement about who God is, the word says clearly, God is not human. He does not lie. Not a human being that he changes his mind. See, Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Of course. Of course. God fulfills his promises. God acts when he speaks. God does not lie. God does not lie. God is, in fact, truth. He is entirely true. From the beginning, today, and forevermore, God is truth. And so when Jesus says we worship a God of spirit and of truth, he unlocked her what has just taken place. That he asked and she was honest with him. And in that moment, he revealed that he already knows that truth is a part of a relationship with God. And so what does that mean for us? How do we encounter this truth and live it out to its fullest? See, honesty and vulnerability in our relationship with God is critical. And then she comes forth, maybe the most critical moment in this text. She says to Jesus, I I hear of a Messiah, one that ushers all of this in. So you talk of spirit and truth, and you talk about this transcendent experience. I want that. Tell me more about that. And he says, you've heard of a Messiah. I am he. I am that Messiah. I am that one who is ushered in that critical time where we as the people 
gather together. And so, brothers and sisters, when we hear of this, uh, we, we, we know that, that in our own lives, uh, we could be honest with God as well. Uh, and, and we talk about it in biblical terms as confession. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about in the Catholic sense of confessing to a priest and that confession residing there in some seclusion uh, uh, within uh, a, a, a box Uh, of some sort. No, I'm talking about confession between you and God. But confession isn't about revealing the truth to God as though we are informing God of something. We oftentimes mistake uh, that that confession as as though we're breaking it down for God. God, uh, it's like like the dude uh, Chuck in Goonies. You know what I'm saying? Whenever he's sitting there before the Fratellis, and they're trying to get to know him, and they're asking him just a very specific uh, piece of the detail. And he goes back to the beginning. There was this time, and then he talks about the movie theater and the puke and the, and the crying and all. You remember that? So, so it's like that. We don't have to fill God in on every detail as though God doesn't know. We're not informing him of our flaws. We stand fully vulnerable before God, and we offer ourselves, because if God is a God of truth, then we are engaging truth with truth. The relationship we have with God is centered on that truth. And if, if we doubt whether this story is about truth and honesty, we could just turn and look to how, how this whole story kind of falls out into community to see that that is the critical turning point both for the Samaritan woman and for the Samaritans who come to believe as well. We're going to read two passages that, that, that break down even further. John chapter 4, 28 through 30, and then we'll skip down to verse 39. And, and both of these are the stories of what happens after she leaves him, uh, Jesus, and goes into the community. In verse 28 it says, Then, leaving her water jar... She has water already now. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and made their way to him. She gives an invitation. She says, Come and see. But the invitation is built off of a testimony. Her testimony is not centered on the living water. Her testimony is centered on the honest relationship she has with Jesus. She says, he told me everything I ever did. He already knew me. He knows the depth of my heart. And we just met. And then then this this version says, could this be the Messiah? I I love the King James version of this that, that articulates it this way. It says, Is he not the Messiah? Right? This this kind of edge of confession, desiring to say yes, almost there. That moment that's right on the cusp for us. And she in that space says, could this be? Is it he, the Messiah? Because he knows me. And that wasn't just enough for the Samaritan woman. It was enough for many other Samaritans who came to believe. Verse 39 and following uh, digs in this way. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Did, did you hear that? Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. Brothers and sisters, we worship a God who knows you who knows the depth of your heart, for whom when, when you enter into relationship, you're not going to surprise him with something that was done or, or you are doing, or there's nothing that you ever will do that he doesn't become aware of and know. Do, do you get this? There's hope here. Because this living water was not the trigger for her to come to faith. It wasn't that he described living water and, and she received it, there was, this, there was this honesty that, and experience that needed to take place that preceded her receiving the living water. She, she left that water, that, that water jug back at the well after she received it, and she received it when she entered into an honest relationship with God. God knows already, and you can trust him with your whole self. You see, this is, this is both the thing that initiates us into freedom and it's, it's the way in which we live in freedom. Honesty begets freedom. Freedom begets honesty. It's this ongoing relationship that we have in faith. That beauty that the Samaritan woman experienced is there for you as well. We worship a God of spirit and of truth, let us rest in that truth today. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we do give you thanks and praise for this gospel message, the ways in which you meet with us and transform our every moment. We ask, oh God, in this space, in this time, that you would move powerfully in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to, to lead us to confession, not for your benefit, but for ours, so that our relationship with you would be one that is honest and vulnerable so that our whole lives may be redeemed for you. So that we would walk in your way and offer grace to the world. Lord, we give thanks and praise for your word, for the time we've had to, to gather around it. We pray this in Jesus' name.